This is for the others out there, the other ambitious people who want to play at a higher level in their life. It's time to get curious and get real. Join me, and together, let's find the others. Hey friends, and welcome back to another episode of Find the Others Podcast. Joshua Church here, your host. And today is a fun podcast to reflect on accomplishing a lifelong goal of mine just last week and completing a full Ironman triathlon. That's right. I did it. I did it, folks. I did it. It took a lot. It took a lot. And I'm excited to unpack on this episode here, just what it took, the full backstory, why I decided to do something this crazy, what my journey was like leading up to it, what the day leading up to it was like, and how I was really nervous I wasn't going to be able to finish the race the day leading up to it, and then the day of journey and the reflections in this past week since completing it. So it um, it's great to be able to reflect. I love this reflection time and this space for reflection because it really helps you embody these these lessons. So this is my reflection on completing a full Ironman triathlon, which is a 2.4-mile swim followed by a 112-mile bike ride followed by a full 26.2-mile marathon run. Even just saying that is exhausting. <laughs> so I'm excited to share. And I have had a lot of people um, thank, thank you all for supporting for those that have reached out or supported and offered their congratulations. It really means a lot. And uh, for those that are curious about what it was like, well, here you go. Here's the full story. So it's it's been a journey. It's been a total journey getting here. And crossing this finish line is not just, it's not just finishing a race for me. It's a checkpoint for me in my journey of growth and in my deepening relationship with my body and my mind-body connection, which has been such a theme for me. For those of you that have heard me on this podcast or on other podcasts, I often talk about how I used to have a horrible relationship with my body, how I was living in chronic pain, how I had a near-death experience from an emergency surgery that I had to have, how I had to have blood transfusions after another surgery went wrong. And my, my physical body has just been this portal for transformation for me, really, and the healing of it and that healing process. So this for me is super meaningful because it's not just completing some crazy feat, but considering where I've come from and how distant I felt from my body, how much pain I lived in on a daily basis, how much I got injured, accomplishing something like this seemed absolutely far off, far out there. It seemed impossible, truly impossible, which was which was part of the reason why I set on this pursuit. And it's very in line with the Iron Man slogan, which is anything is possible. And this journey is one of expanding limitations, expanding what you believe, what I believe to be possible. So I'm going to share with you the way backstory of of why I decided to do this, how I got into this. And then I'm going to share the seven takeaways that I have after reflecting on this experience. So firstly, going into, into triathlon in general, it's, 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 it's a wild sport, right? Swimming, biking, running all by yourself. Eight years ago, I did my first triathlon. It was an Olympic distance triathlon, which I believe was like an 800 meter swim and then a something like a 30 mile bike ride and then a or 20, 26 mile bike ride and then a six mile run. So it's like half of a half Ironman. And I signed up for it because I was at a point 
um, actually, yeah, it was about eight years ago. So I was at a point when I had, I was in college and I was really out of shape. I was inflamed. I had put on that freshman 15 plus, uh, my lifestyle was not healthy and I was dealing with very real knee pain and back pain. And so I knew that I, I wanted to work out and stay in good shape, but I wanted to do something that was low impact. And so I thought, oh, wow, well, biking and swimming are, you know, virtually no impact, very low impact cardio exercise and running. And I, and I had done some running before and I was not very strong at it at the time, but I, I knew I could run. So I thought this is, might be a good, good way to do it. So I was sitting in, uh, in, on a porch in upstate New York at our family lake house with a good friend, Ricky Bodner. And we said, hey, let's sign up for a race this fall. This is in August. We're like, let's sign up for a race in the fall and let's just do it. And we're like, okay, cool. Let's do it. Done. Signed up for it. Goal set. And really the reason why I set that first goal was is a form of accountability because I knew that it was going to force me to get into shape. Triathlon and endurance races and any type of race that you enter is a really great mechanism for accountability because you know whether you are ready or not, that race day is going to come and you're either going to rise to the occasion or you're not. And so it's a great form of accountability when it's easy to, oh, I'm not going to do the workout today or um, I'm just going to take take today off and fall back into ba old patterns and old habits. When you know that you have a race day coming up, it forces you to get into action. So it was really brilliant in that way. And I did, I, I transformed my health during that fall as I was living in San Francisco at the time, my junior year of college, I, I transformed my, my, uh, my health. I got into really great shape. I, uh, I started a plant-based diet at the time, which served me really well for that period of my life. And I started losing the weight and feeling great. Amazing. It helped a lot. And I did that first triathlon with Ricky and it was brutal. It was horrible. It was awful. But there was that feeling of crossing the finish line and that feeling of completion and that feeling of achievement that was just so amazing. And so after that, I was like, all right, this sport's definitely not for me. But then it was like a week later, I'm like, oh, actually, that was kind of fun. Uh, maybe I tried again and I train a little bit differently this time because when we did that first one, uh, we were, I would, I did it on like a normal bike, just like a, you know, a road bike and a, you know, I think Ricky and I ran, we did the bike with our shirts off and ran shirtless, which you technically aren't able to do, but we did it and we were just kind of just showed up and, and did it. And it was awesome. But then after that first one, my cousin, Rob, he was like, what the heck, man? You didn't tell me about this. I want in on this. We're like, yeah, dude, let's do it. Ricky had, Ricky had phased out at that point. <laughs> he decided that path was not for him. And so Rob came in and Rob and I started training, trained a lot better, did that next Olympic and it, that next Olympic distance triathlon and in Napa Valley, it was raining the whole time, but we did it and it was awesome. And it was so tough too. still finishing, crossing that finish line was like, wow, okay. The thought of doing double that race would be a half Ironman, a 70.3 Tin Man, as they call it. And that was crazy. The thought of doing that race again, double that distance seemed crazy. And then the thought of doubling that double distance for a full 140.6 mile triathlon seemed absurd. Like it made me want to throw up just thinking about it. It would seem so far out of possibility, but we got started. We're like, all right, let's do another Olympics. We did another one or two Olympics. And all of a sudden we're like, huh, actually, you know what? I could see how we could get up, give a shot at a half. It would be crazy, but we could do it. And then we trained for that first half Ironman we did in Santa Cruz. And, um, this would be my first year out of college. So 20, um, eight, 20 fall of 2017. And we did it. And it was the first 70.3 and it was tough. We were beat up for days and same sort of thing. After we did that first one, it was like, oh my God, that was insane. How could anybody possibly do double that distance? A full Ironman is just ridiculous. I can't even conceive it. And then we did another half and then another half. And all of a sudden it was like, well, 
maybe I can, can kind of see it. And then that that launched us into our bid for signing up for Iron Man, Arizona, uh, Iron Man, Florida in 2019. And we decided to send it, decided to go for the full. And we were in great shape at the time. So we decided to, to do it. So we started training for our first full Ironman triathlon, Ironman, Florida. And it's not a happy ending, the story. <laughs> we try, it ends up being a happy ending now that I finished Ironman, Arizona. But we started training nine months, nine months of training. I sacrificed so much for that training. I trained really hard. Uh, we raised uh, over $10,000 for my cousin, Rob's sister, Catherine, for, who has muscular dystrophy to help make re renovations to her home so that it could be more wheelchair accessible. It was an amazing campaign, a GoFundMe we did. Thank you, everybody that supported in that the, many of those many years ago. And it was, this, it was this big culmination leading up to it. We had, we had a coach, a group we trained with, and I was doing double days. Admittedly, in hindsight, I certainly overtrained. I trained a lot. I took it super seriously, which is what I thought was needed. And I overtrained. And so the week leading up to the race, I had my bike shipped out, ready to go, plane ticket booked. I'm on my last run as I'm tapering down. And all of a sudden, my shin just lights up in extreme pain. I'm like, that's not good. I tried biking the next couple of days later after some rest. It's painful. Every cycle around is painful. I go in to the doctor. And they tell me that I have micro stress fracture, aggressive form of shin splints in my left shin. And it was devastating. I was forced with a decision to make here, which was, do I try to push through this and do this, do this race? Or do I pull out this, this late in the game? And it was devastating, but I came to the decision to not enter that race. And in hindsight, it was the absolute right decision. It was so gutting at the time. I had cried so much trying to come up, trying to come up with a decision of what I actually, what I actually wanted to do. And I'm going to read you the Instagram post that I wrote and my reflection that I wrote after, uh, on the heels of that, after when I came to that decision that I was not going to enter the race. Here's what I wrote. I've cried a lot more in these past three days than I probably have all year, and I cry a lot. This week has been an emotional whirlwind for me. For whoever might need this message, I felt compelled to share. Developing shin splints in my final week before this Ironman race wasn't a part of the plan. But as my wise mama has always said, man plans and God laughs. Through this process, I've come to appreciate, love, and respect my body on a whole new level. I'm choosing to honor my body and its healing process by listening to my intuition and not entering the race on Saturday. Dancing at my sister's wedding next month is far more important than risking further injury to limp across the finish line for a fleeting ego stroke. But through facing this and sitting in the discomfort, I've come to realize that I don't need a medal on Saturday to make this journey worth it. The impossible became possible for me two weeks ago when my cousin Rob and I crushed our longest training day and were able to say, we got this. What was once a laughable feat of a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride and 26.2 mile run had become doable. We raised over $11,000 for muscular dystrophy research and will be able to make life-changing renovations to my cousin Catherine's home. The journey has been a, this journey has been a massive victory. There will always be more opportunities to race and to do so in full integrity with myself. I already feel a tremendous sense of relief, clarity, and gratitude in this decision. The pressure is truly a privilege, and this entire situation is the most first world of first world problems. Facing this has forced me to conquer the thing that scares me the most, not entering the race. I'm releasing the judgment of what others may think and the self-judgment of being a quitter or weak or failing. I have nothing left to prove. 
through letting go, I've discovered a newfound strength, which feels like I just won the race I didn't even realize I was in. So I wrote that 212 weeks ago. <laughs> I took several years before coming back to this and coming back to the sport. Um, after that, after that post, after that last ride, I, I, I didn't get it back on the bike for three years. <laughs> and 212 weeks later, 211 weeks to cross the finish line at Ironman Arizona was so meaningful. So for me, that was a big part of my process and, and, and really restarted back up. It was always in the back of my head. Okay. Well, I didn't get it that time, but I've, I, I want to, it's a bucket list item for me to, again, to show myself what's possible and to, to be a major checkpoint in this healing journey. So coming back to the decision to do this, Ironman Arizona, Rob always had told me too, Hey, when you're, whenever you're ready for it, I, you, I have an IO, you have an IOU for me joining another race. So we went, um, April of 2022 to Ironman Oceanside, the half Ironman where we launched Edge Theory Labs and we had our booth set up there and being back around that race environment kind of piqued the interest back up and was like, oh, this, I, I remember this, there, this was fun. And it kind of made me think, ooh, this would be fun to do. And so we decided, okay, next year we'll run the Ironman Oceanside race. And we did that. And so as we started training for Ironman Oceanside in April of 2023, we started training and we decided, all right, you know what? This is probably the window here as we're training for this half to roll it into completing the full and just knocking this one down, especially because Rob's about to go into family building mode. This was kind of the window of opportunity. So decided to send it. And this time my approach was very different than before for, for a lot of different reasons. But this time my desire was to have more fun with it. I became, I was super serious about it. I was, it was like training twice a day, focusing on all these different things. And this, this time I decided, you know what, I'm going to have more fun with it. And I'm going to take it a little bit lighter and a little bit easier and not be so, so, so serious about it. So that was biggest, that was, that was a big difference. And then also there was a business commitment. <laughs> I now had to start up a little baby, whereas before I could do double days and I had the flexibility to, to really invest deeply into this training. It was a lot different this time. <laughs> so I had to make it work and fit it in where I could and more takeaways to share on that in a little bit here. And then also I was definitely undertrained. Definitely undertrained for this. And I knew that. And I knew that I was I was training to finish. I wasn't training for a certain time. I was training to just cross that finish line. So I was certainly undertrained. I had not done, I'd never run a marathon before. I had not done a hundred mile bike ride since that some four years ago training for Florida. Um, the longest bike ride I did this time was 70 miles, which is still, <laughs> still another 40 miles to go after that in the race. And uh, longest run I did was about 16 miles. So I was definitely undertrained. And then I had a long taper. So I stopped my training very early based on the way that my travels worked for the Iceland retreat that I was doing at the end of October. So basically from uh, mid-October until November 19th, the race, I didn't do any big training effort. So I was a little worried about that as well, but I knew, hey, if I can show up healthy and feeling good, I'll be good. But dun, 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 the plot thickens. So I had, I was feeling great the whole training, doing these long runs, these bikes, my body was feeling strong, feeling great. And I was feeling very confident. And then in my last big effort before going to Iceland, I did a 50 mile bike ride and then a half marathon run after. And that was like my big peak training day. 
And on that last, at the end of the last run, I felt my knee kind of flared up a little bit. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. A little bit of knee pain, but that's fine. I'm about to take a, you know, 10 days off in Iceland and I'll let it recover and recoup. And, and I did, and it recovered fine until I came back and I did my first run back from Iceland. And I only did about a mile and a half run and I had to stop it short because I felt that same knee pain flare up. And now we're about two weeks away from the race. And I'm thinking, shit, here we go again. Thankfully, I was able to go to my PT, my athletic trainer, my physical therapist, and they were able to help um, help diagnose it as IT band syndrome, IT band tightness, and not necessarily knee pain, which was good because there's certain relief that you can do, exercises, manual release, manual therapy to help relieve that. And I knew that I wasn't going to do anything damaging to my knee, like tear another meniscus or something like that. So that gave me a lot of confidence to just focus on rehab, recovery, and just focus on feeling good. So I, 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 I didn't do any other workouts since then. <laughs> so now we're going on like nearly a month before going into it without any serious workout because I just wanted to rest and let my body heal up. And that knee flare up, as I remember, I sat with it. There was an insight that came through, which was for me to reconnect with my body. Hey body, I got you. I'm here. I hear you. I hear the signals. You're good. I got you. And that was very, very, very helpful in, in healing. And, and I was able to get back to that place leading up to the week of the race where I felt good. My T band completely felt, felt great. I even did a short run after a short bike ride and it felt fine. And I was really happy about that. But then the plot thickens even more. Dun, dun, dun. I decided after acupuncture, which really helped move the needle a lot, pun intended, it moved the needle tremendously for my healing. Um, leading up to the race, this is race week now, really dialing everything in. I decided after um, one of the women that was there at the same facility that I was doing acupuncture and some of my, my, my rehab at, she had this really cool suit that you could put on that gave you electrostimulation, like the TENS unit. And she said she could lead me through like a mobility sequence to help open my hips my and my ankles, which is something I've been working on. And I decided to say, yeah, sure, that sounds great. And it, in hindsight, it was not a wise decision. You know, kind of the big rule of thumb is never try anything new <laughs> leading up to a race. But I tried this new thing and, um, and I noticed it felt very strong in my legs and my hamstrings in particular when I was doing a certain movement. So very quickly after I, I decided to, I, I told her, hey, can we just turn the legs off? And I finished the sequence and it felt fine. But later that day, I felt this is Thursday. I'm leaving Friday to go drive out for the race on Sunday. I felt like a little bit of a, a tweak in my hamstring when I would squat down. I'm like, that's interesting. I woke up the next day for the drive out there and it was still present. It felt a little bit worse. And then I got to the race day, we check in, we get everything checked in, get pick up the packet and they have like athletic training tables over there and some fair guns, uh, hyper, hyper volts. And so I took a hyper volt and just like really drilled into my hamstring to try to help it release. And it actually felt like it made it worse. And so I got on the table with an athletic trainer there and they're like, yep, this is a mild hamstring strain that you have. And I'm feeling like, oh my goodness. It was feeling like the world was crumbling down around me. Like, seriously? And after that, I would do like a body weight squat and I would feel a six or seven on the pain scale from just doing a single squat. And so then now in my mind, I'm just swirled up in my mind and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, seriously, am I going to have to pull out of this race? Am I not going to be able to finish? And it just like just brought up all that chatter. Thankfully, I have a really good mentor and mindset coach. His name is Georgie. I've been working with him for five, six years. And um, I shot him a tease in Australia. So he, he was in the next day. He was on his um, Saturday morning at this Friday night. And I, I got on a call with him very quickly. He made time and we were able to just kind of talk through and, and, and help kind of dissolve some of the emotional charge that I had around it and some of the guilt I was feeling and some of the fear I was feeling. 
And it really just got me back into a centered state that this is all part of the process. This is all part of my process. It's my body bringing myself closer to myself. And this has been my theme since day one. And so I shifted instead of trying to like figure out what I could do externally to fix it to going internal and to doing some breath work and focusing on sending oxygen, sending blood flow to my hamstring, doing self-reiki, some self-healing with myself and just focusing on really being with it. And a new mantra that came through as I was focusing on that, which became a theme for me, which is I love my body and my body loves me. Like my body loves me so much. It's giving me signal that there's some pain here, but that's okay. I hear you, body. I hear you. I'm with you. There's pain. Okay. I got you. I love you. You're okay. And started talking with my body. And I kid you not, over the course of that next hour, I could I did a squat again. And we we measured from the beginning of my call with him to the end until I finished doing some of that work. It was a seven out of 10 when I did a squat. After that, it was a four out of 10, a three out of 10. And then that next day, it got better and better. The evening leading up to it was even better. And I woke up the morning of race morning and it was still present. I still felt it, but it was significantly better. It was maybe a two out of 10 on the scale. So that was just massive takeaway and massive learning for me too, which was this has been my theme from day one. It's connection with my, my, my body. It's healing with my body, communion with my body. And this was another, yet another opportunity for me to deepen that, deepen that relationship, deepen that communication. And instead of seeking for like, what are the external things I can do? Can I see an acupuncturist? Can I see a trainer? Can I, is there some sort of tape job that I can do? Instead of trying to figure out what I could do for the symptom, it was like, wait a sec, no. Take a breath and let's go inward. Let's go inward. Let's go to meditation. Let's go to visualization. Let's go to breath work. Let's go inward to heal this and to work with this, which is such a theme that I share with people that's been a part of my journey and that I share with people as well when we're doing Iceland retreats or Jackson Hole retreats or whatever we're doing when we're working with the cold, we're working with the mind, body, the psychology, the physiology, the psychophysiology together. And it was such an opportunity for me to come back to that. And I felt so much better after getting that clarity to where I knew, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give this a shot. And if, if it flares up, it flares up. And I'm going to take it one breath at a time, one step at a time, and be really present with my body tomorrow, even more so than before. So that led us to race day. Wake up race day. All the preparation is done. And it's time to shine. It's time to do the thing. It's just a long training day, as Rob and I said. Just a long training day. And I woke up knowing, had a moment as I walked out of the bedroom at the Airbnb of like, all right, bed, I'll see you later. It's going to be a day, but I will see you later. And we go and get everything set at our transition areas and pre-race, ready to rock. The, the anticipation's building up. We're lined up for the swim. They do the Star Spangled Banner, full body chills, just absolutely in flow. And we get to the front of the line, ready to jump in and fist bump each other, give each other a hug, say, I love you. And we jump in and I jump in to the water, start swimming. And when I first jumped in, I, uh, I, I, I was shocked with how muddy, how muddy it seemed in the water in Tempe town Lake in Arizona. And I was, I was shocked at like how muddy and how gross the water was. And I was thinking, oh, maybe this is just because this is where everybody's jumping in. And so it's kicking up mud started swimming and realized, oh no, this is just the water quality of this entire 
water that we're swimming in, this entire lake. So this is what it is. It was so murky, you could not see your hand in front of you. Usually when you swim, you can see your hand in front of you. And it's important, especially when you're doing long distance, because you can turn your hand and you can see your watch and you can see how far you've gone, how, what time you're at, what your pace is. Literally could not see my watch a foot in front of my face. It was that gross and murky. And I picked my head up at one point and I saw there was three people that were throwing up over by uh, one of the aid um, lifeguard rafts. It was horrendously gnarly, but we did it. Caught a really nice flow. At the first beginning, my nerves were really high and I was going pretty quickly and I was a little bit out of breath. And I'm like, all right, calm down, calm down. You're good. You know, there's the anticipation. So I finally caught a good rhythm. And once I caught the rhythm, maybe 10 minutes in, it was just smooth sailing throughout the rest of the race. And all of a sudden you're on the back half. And uh, an hour and a half later, I got out of the water, which was a pretty decent time for myself. So I felt great about that, getting out of the water. Okay, great. One third of it done. <laughs> the easy part, hour and a half part. Now onto the bike and go to transition tent, change. I'm taking my time, snacking on some dates, like changing into the bike gear, ready to go for a bike cruise. Start the bike. Cool. Nice, steady bike. My, go my goal was to just keep it nice and easy, nice, easy spin, and just save myself for the run because I knew that my biggest risk was getting off of the bike. And typically also um, in past races, when I get off the bike, my legs start cramping on the run. And so doing a marathon with that is not, <laughs> not very easy to do. And you can't really gut it out. With half Ironmans, you can pretty much gut out a half marathon. Like my last half Ironman, I started cramping my quads and my calves and my hamstrings on mile three or four, but I was able to gut it out for the half. You can't really do that with a full marathon. So I knew that the bike is where I wanted to just have a nice, easy pace. And again, I'm just going to finish. I have, you have 17, you have 18 hours to finish the race. Like, great. I can do that. I'm just going to take it nice and easy. So I'm going on the bike and everybody's passing me up. I'm like, am I going a little too slow? But remembering, no, you got to stay in your race, your own race. People are passing me by, but I'm like, all right, cool. Sticking with it. Here we go. And, and then all of a sudden we get to the, it was a three lap course. So you go out and back, out and back, out and back. Each, each lap out is about 19 miles. So it's about 37 or 38 miles, um, for one of the, for each, each, lap that you do. So you're doing one lap out and it's slightly uphill through the mountain range up to the, up to like a, a, the base of a mountain. And then it's downhill on that way back. And first lap was okay. I mean, making great time to, to basically do like a seven hour, six and a half hour bike, which is okay, which is solid for what I was considering and, um, settled into good flow. And then on the, on the way back out, on the next time, still going pretty slowly. I turn around and at the turnaround point, you hit this, I hit this massive headwind, 25 mile an hour gusts kicking up. And I'm like, oh crap. So I'm going downhill and I'm having to pedal hard just to keep moving downhill, going about 12, 13 miles an hour, where typically I'd be going 22 miles an hour on a downhill. So it was like, okay, this is challenging. Everybody was struggling with it got to the end of the second lap and it's like, all right, time for the third lap. And there's a few different cutoff times that they have. So you have to complete the whole race within 18 hours. However, you have to hit certain checkpoints in a certain amount of time to keep people, you know, to keep the course moving and they have to close the course down. So I knew that I had, I was going to get close to missing the cutoff to making the cutoff time for that last lap. Because one of the big cutoffs was being on your way back from on the last lap of the bike before 3.30 p.m. And I was doing the math in my head and I'm like, 
oh shit, uh, I need to push here to make this cutoff time. So I push, I caught a good flow, had a good sustained push to go out with the tailwind and then turned around, hit that and made the cutoff time and hit the headwind. And it was just, it was just exhausting because now I'm on hour six, hour seven, you hit a hundred miles and it's like, okay, cool. hundred miles on the bike. Amazing. I still have another, another hour on this thing. Finally finished the bike seven and a half hours. It took me on the bike alone. It was so brutal. It was one of the most challenging things I've done just that bike. One of the things that's really challenging too is you're not listening to music. There's no headphones allowed on the course. So you're not listening to music. You're just with yourself, just with your with your mind. Wherever your mind goes, you're with your breath. And I just kept focusing on one breath at a time. Long, slow inhales, keeping my heart rate nice and low. And I was able to do that successfully. But just dealing with the struggle. And one of the big takeaways that I had, and I thought to a conversation I had on the podcast with Akshay, who's attempting the first solo unassisted crossing of Antarctica. Amazing. Stellar guy. He said, when I'm doing a training session and the weather's windy and horrible, I say, thank you for the perfect weather. This is perfect because it can't be anything other than this. And my thought and my mentality is not going to change this. So if I accept this as perfect conditions, then I accept it. And so I was really working on that. It was really freaking challenging, not going to lie, but I was working on focusing on that and saying, all right, this is just what it is to get where I want to go. Effort is necessary. Struggling is a choice. This is taking a little bit more effort than I was expecting, but I don't have to struggle through this. So I was really focusing on that and being able to see some of my friends and family on the course along the way gave me such big boost of energy and such, such a life to help me keep moving forward. So finally got to the end of the bike. And as I, uh, there's a fun video of me coming back to the tunnel as I finish the bike about to transition on the run. And I pull up to my, my, my friends and my, my, my parents and the first thing I say is I come up, I'm just like, this is the stupidest sport ever. <laughs> this is the stupidest sport. And my mom asks, are you ready to be done with it? And I said, yep. And 26.2 miles, I'm ready to check the box and be done with it. So now this is about sunset time. It's like five o'clock. You know, you've, you've been biking for seven and a half hours after an hour and a half swim, like you're exhausted. And now it's like, all right, time to run a marathon. And it's so funny because if you ever go to a marathon, even to watch someone or you've run a marathon, it's like even just half marathons, it's this whole hoopla, this whole event around this marathon, right? 26.2 miles. Well, it's a serious endeavor. And it's this whole hoopla. You've got the, you've got the, the village, you've got the check-ins, you've got the, the, the celebration. You have people that are hobbling across the marathon that are pushing it, that are, see everybody walking around beat up and celebrating. And it's so crazy to think like, oh yeah, that's just one leg of this. That's not even the longest part of this race. It just really puts into perspective the what how difficult an Ironman is because you're getting off a bike at 5 p.m. and you're like, all right, it's time to run a marathon. Let's go ahead and run a marathon now after my body's now already exhausted. And as I was kicking my leg over to dismount from the bike and get ready to go change into my run, my run shoes, my hamstring started cramping up as I flipped over the bike and I'm thinking, oh no, please no. And I had to slow down and lower the bike and move my leg over a lot slower to avoid cramping up. So I'm like, all right, time to go run a marathon now. And as I got back to the transition changing tent, they said, hey guys, transition's closing in 20 minutes. Another cutoff time I was pushing up against. So I'm like, okay, great. So I'm, I'm, there was hundreds of people that got disqualified because of that headwind and how it slowed people down on the course. There was hundreds of people that did not finish. So I was in this kind of tail end group coming off the bike and I'm thinking, oh God, I got to make this up because I know there's another big cutoff point on the run, which is I have to be finishing my first half marathon and starting the second loop by um, 9.30 PM. So like 
I got to get, I got to get moving to make sure that I don't miss that. Because if I have one cramp or one, you know, tweak of my knee or my IT band flares up, then I'm done. And, and so I, I started the run nice and slow and just focusing so much focus, every breath being with my body, body. I love you, body. I got you finding a rhythm, finding a pace, knock down the first two miles, three miles, four miles, six miles, eight miles, feeling great. I did a great first half marathon, just a bit over two hours, which is a fantastic time off the bike. And all of a sudden realized I had caught up quite significantly with the rest of the field. And, and I was now insulated and I was, I was safe because I, I had made such, I was so paranoid about getting, missing the cutoff time and coming that far that I just posted a great first half of the marathon. And on the second half, probably around mile 15, I had some knee pain flare up and it was really, really, cha- it was really severe to where it stopped me from running. And I just had to walk for a bit and then I would jog again and the knee pain would come and it, and then I would walk and I would jog and I would walk and I ran into this group of people asking them, hey, do you know anything more about the cutoff time? And they said, oh, like we just did the math. We can walk from now the last 10 miles. We can walk to the finish line and still make it. So it was like a sigh of relief. Ah, I'm in the safe zone. I can walk the rest of the way if I need to and I'll still finish. And that to me was when there was a big load taken off and I just continued with a walk jog strategy as much as I could before I would hit knee pain. Cause I thought, you know what, even if I have to be on the course for an extra hour that walking will take me, it's, I don't need to put myself in undue pain past the pain I'm already feeling to potentially hurt my knee. So I'm just going to take it nice and easy. And then around mile 18, I, um, I ran past my family one more time and, uh, my dad jumped in and, and started jogging alongside me and walking and just to catch up with me. And he realized he was expecting to only run with me for just, you know, for a few hundred yards, uh, which is typically the way that it works. But then um, he realized how slow I was moving and that I was doing a walk jog. And he was like, hey, you're running at my pace. You're running at Babu pace. Babu is what my niece and nephew call him for grandpa. It means grandpa in Swahili. So um, fun story about that to share another time. So he's like, you're running at Babu pace. I guess I realized the equalizer for us to run at the same pace is for you to to bike 112 miles and swim uh, two and a half miles first. That uh, all you got to do work out for, for, uh, 10 hours before, and we'll finally be the same pace. So I was laughing and it was really nice to be able to just have him next to me. And we were kind of walking, jogging, talking, catching up. And it helped a lot from a distraction standpoint to have that. And, um, and we kind of kept that going. And all of a sudden I was just like, you know, we got there, we, we knocked down like two miles. I'm like, are you, how are you feeling? Like, are you good? Cause you were about to go out for that last kind of loop around and, um, you just keep coming, keep going with me if you're feeling good. And he was like, yeah, I'm feeling good. So he was going with me for the rest of the way. And then we got to about mile, um, mile 22. So we're four miles to go and we're coming along this kind of really dark part of the course. I have my headlight on. And, um, you know, it's, it's 10 o'clock at this point and we see someone that's on the, that's, that's racing and he's like pushing himself off against this fence and he's looking like he's in so much pain. It's like, he's about to collapse and we go up to him. We're like, Hey, are you okay? And he's like, no, like I threw my back out. That's it. And, and we're like, can we help you? And he's like, yeah, maybe just help me, like help me get to the next aid station. So he puts his, basically his full body weight on my dad, like his arm around my dad. And he's putting at least half of his body weight on my dad. And that provides enough relief for his back to where he's able to like walk with manageable pain. And so we walk to the next aid station another mile or so away. And he's just like, you know what? My back is loosened up a little bit because I'm able to lean on you. Like, are you able to keep 
keep going because now we're two, three, we're three miles away now from the finish line. And my dad was like, yeah, for sure. I got you. So my dad walked with him for four full miles with him putting half of his weight on him, walked with this guy, this random guy who we met and helped literally carry him to the finish line. And he was, he, he literally couldn't make it even through the finish line tunnel. My dad was going to peel off and let him have his moment down the tunnel, but he was just like, no, I need your help. So he literally, my dad literally walked through the finish line with this guy. William is his name. Amazing guy and helped him finish. And they gave my dad a medal as well, which was awesome. So such a fun little story there that happened on the course. And uh, with a couple miles to go, I, I was kind of feeling feeling motivated to start running again. So I split off for the last two miles, let's say last mile, really, I split ahead as they were kind of going at their own pace. And I was just in my own process at that time. And now everything's lit up my calves, my knees, I'm just feeling it. I'm starting to feel sleepy now and tired because we're approaching 16 hours on the course. And, uh, and now we're getting to the final home stretch. You see the 26 mile marker and we're like, all right, two tenths of a mile to go. And at this point I was jogging again. And, and at this point there was just, I mean, I get chills just thinking about it now, but just, uh, I started crying as I was, as I was jogging, even, even, you know, the last two tenths of a mile, just knowing that, wow, we're doing this. Like the finish line is there. Like you can start to hear, as soon as you start to hear the music playing on the PA and the announcer announcing people's names, that's when it really sits in. So I hear that in the distance and I'm just moved with emotion. It's, it's, it's such a, it was such a moving, one of the most surreal moments of my entire life of turning that last corner into the tunnel and you see, and you get hit by the lights and you see the path light up to the finish line. And it's lined with hundreds of people and fans cheering you on. It is like, I literally get chills as I'm talking about it, but it is just, it was one of the most surreal moments of my life. Like your whole body just goes numb. Like you just can't feel anything as, as you're running down. And, and for me, as I was running that last bit, I was just reflecting on my journey of what it took me to get here of the surgeries, the pain, the challenges, the setbacks, the, 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 the conceptions and the limitations I was pushing up against the late nights, the early mornings, the, the, the things I had to rehab from all of it, the people that helped get me there, all of it. And it was just, I was crying as I was running and I knew I was going to be emotional, but it hit me sooner than I thought. I thought I was going to get to cross the finish line and then cry. But it was like, I was crying literally as I'm running down the chute, arms wide open. There's a great video of it. Just arms wide open, running with a huge smile on my face. And the announcer says, Joshua Church, we see the gratitude, Joshua. You are an Iron Man. And again, I'm just full body chills now as I'm, as I'm sharing this, it's uh, th those words that you, that you hear, that you want to hear as you cross the finish line for any first time Ironman, they say, you are an Ironman. And it was just overwhelming, absolutely overwhelming to run past my family and friends, giving them high fives as I came down the tunnel, as I came down the chute to cross the finish line. And then you finish and you stop and then it all just hits you. And Rob jumped over. He had finished about 45 minutes to an hour before I did. He jumped back over and, and came over, gave me a hug. We shared an amazing moment, went and saw my family, my team, and just like letting it land, body just feeling so, so lit up and just so, so much pain present. And then went over to the tent, was able to sit down as someone brought me a couple slices of pizza and change 
and then get over and meet up with my family to go uh, back to the Airbnb and just in delirious mode at that point before hitting an ice bath. Of course, we had the edge tub set up, hit an ice bath and a hot tub before getting to the literal point of delirious talking and like, I'm delirious now, I need to sleep. And then just falling asleep, getting a terrible night's sleep, but waking up the next morning feeling just incredible. My whoop, my wearable was just screaming at me with all the metrics that were off. <laughs> it was like, you spent 16 hours in the high stress zone today. Try an active recovery tomorrow. Like, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. So it was so funny. My respiratory rate was higher. It was elevated. My skin temperature was elevated. Every baseline metric, it was like screaming at me. My resting heart rate was like 15 beats per minute above what it typically is. My body just working so hard. And I was sore literally for a full week after that, a full week of soreness it took before my body was able to get back to uh, to a baseline, which I feel now. So that was my experiences. My experience, as one of my friends said, doing anything for 16 hours is tough. Like doing anything, sitting on the couch for 16 hours is tough. Going on an airplane for 16 hours is really tough. And you're just sitting there watching movies. So exercising, actively moving, swimming, biking, and running for 16 hours straight is insane to think about. And that was a great perspective and a great way to put it as well for what a feat that it that it was and just how long it took. I had friends that texted me later saying, when I woke up, you had already started the swim. And by the time I went to sleep, you were still running. So you had literally been exercising before I woke up and continued exercising until after I was asleep without stopping once. Like that's insane. It is insane. Absolutely insane. I just feel so grateful to, to have accomplished this. And again, for all that it, all that it means to me. So that's the very long, that went a lot longer than I, than I expected uh, sharing the play-by-play, -play, but I, I thought that it would be valuable to share the play-by-play -play for anybody that is, was interested in hearing the play-by-play -play of how it actually went and what went into it. There you go. You got it now. And I just want to leave you with a few of the takeaways here. Seven takeaways from this experience. Number one, you climb a mountain one step at a time. Don't overestimate what you can do in one year because you're probably underestimating what you can do in five years. This is just a story of step by step. Like I shared in the beginning, doing an Olympic distance felt like a huge mountain, but I did that. And then the thought of doing an Ironman felt like inconceivable, but you take the steps one step at a time. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is actually possible. But that takes, that took literal years. So it's always incredible to think about what we can do when we lengthen our runway and we expand our focus from just what are we going to do this year to what about five years, 10 years? So that's a big takeaway through this. Number two, pressure is a privilege. Feeling nervous is a good thing. It means you're stretching your comfort zone. So I, I felt such nerves. I felt so nervous leading up to it. And as I was reflecting on that that feeling and sitting with that emotion and that feeling of, of feeling nervous, it was the insight that came through was, what a beautiful thing to feel nervous. It means that I'm doing something that's stretching my comfort zone. I'm pushing myself. It means that I'm growing here. And what a great thing, what a beautiful thing to be able to feel nervous. It's such a privilege. And we should only be so lucky to feel nervous a healthy amount because it means that we're growing, we're challenging ourselves. And how humbling is it to do something that I know that there's a good chance I don't finish. There's a good chance that I fail. But that is super humbling. Number three, stagnation cannot exist when you are challenging yourself. Fulfillment lives at this intersection of challenging yourself. I so believe this. And the whole training leading up to it, everything, when we feel that that feeling of stagnation or blah, or like, uh, I just, I feel depressed and I can relate to those feelings. 
it cannot exist when you are challenging yourself at the same time. So challenging yourself and choosing challenges that inspire you, whether it's something physical like this, whether it's something else like learning a new language or playing an instrument or learning a new skill, a new hobby, stagnation cannot exist while you are challenging yourself. Big takeaway there. Number four, this shall pass and this too shall pass. That was top of mind as I was biking. That was top of mind throughout the whole thing. I will be in my bed tonight. We say that oftentimes climbing when we were climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. No matter how hard today is, I will be in my tent tonight. I will be in my bed tonight. I can get through anything. This shall pass and this too shall pass. That race was tough, but guess what? I was tougher. I will outlast. Building that resolve, that resolve, that confidence in yourself to be able to outlast. Can you withstand the storm? That was very present. And the other thing that was present for me was I, I had decided leading up to this that once I got this, I was going to take a nice long break, if not retire completely from triathlon. This was kind of the pinnacle achievement for me. And I don't particularly love biking. Uh, I don't particularly love swimming. I do like running and I'll do marathons for sure. But the triathlon, especially Ironman, is just a whole different thing. And so I, I was ready to, to hang up the bike cleats, if you will. So that was another big motivation throughout the day was Rob told me be the day before, he was just like, just think about this. If you complete this, this will be the last time you bike for as long as you ever want to. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. So I was thinking about that on the bike as well. Like just three more hours on the bike and for, for good, three more hours on the bike, two more hours on the bike, one more hour on the bike. I got this. So good motivation to get it done, to not have to do it again. <laughs> Takeaway number five, your body is talking and it's also listening. So again, as I was sharing with my big takeaways around talking with my body, being with my body, hey body, I'm listening. I got you. I hear you. And there's such a such a defined, such a such a slight distinction between like the quote unquote David Goggins push through the pain instead of like shut the hell up, I'm going, whether you like it or not. I didn't take that approach. The approach I took was, hey, okay, I hear you, body. I'm with you. I'm gonna keep going. And you got this. I got you. It's a slight difference, right? I'm listening. I hear you. I'm with you versus shut up. Like I'm going to move through the pain. It's like, no, I hear the pain. Thank you for giving me the feedback. And at the same time, I got you. You don't need to overreact. I'm in control here. I got this very up-leveled relationship. And, and that's just helped build the relationship with my body. I love my body and my body loves me. I am safe. I'm present. I'm here. I'm listening. These are some of the things that I was telling myself throughout the entire day, literally speaking to my body. And that takeaway is huge of the effect that that can have in real time on pain you're experiencing, on your reality, and how you're living through this body. Number six takeaway was action expresses priority. I had a I had a, a, fr a friend ask me, "How are you? How are you finding time to train for an Ironman while doing the startup? Like, what? How are you doing that?" And the answer is, "I'm I'm not. I don't have the time. I'm making the time." And another mentor shared with me this great line, which is action expresses priority. If we want to know what you're prioritizing in life, look what you're actually doing. What are the actions that you're taking? So this became a priority for me. And I had to be very structured with planning my workouts around my travel and work schedule. I traveled, I traveled a lot these last six months and being able to be very strategic about saying no to certain things or even 
changing flights around my schedule, building, booking my flights, my travel around certain scheduling so that I could hit certain workouts was, it took a lot of time strategizing a lot of energy every Sunday, every week when I would start my, my, my calendar, my scheduling for the week ahead and my organization, it would be the first thing I would do. I'd plan out my workouts. All right, cool. Monday, I'm going to do this. Tuesday, I'm going to do this. Wednesday, I'm going to do this. I'm going to plan for this. I know I have this coming up, so I'm going to change the date for this. So action expresses priority. And the more structured you can be when it comes to big goals like this, the better. And the number seven, the last takeaway is that life is a team sport. This is a whole damn team sport. And I'm so freaking grateful for the support that I have had and that I have. And this was a great moment to feel that support and receive that support from everybody. I mean, from like first and foremost, my parents coming out to support, my siblings from afar, my fam- my family, my my wide extended family that supported me throughout this whole journey, my friends for supporting me and for understanding that Joshua wasn't going to be around socially a whole lot during these six months because he was going to be training and and p- p- putting pause on things like basketball and all my friends that I play with, all the support from there. And then the support that I had from my 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 physical therapists and my tr- athletic trainers, the acupuncturist, the, my mindset coach, everybody, uh, Giorgio, Rosie, and my massage therapist, Jeff Prano, Ali, Travis, Dave, the entire 1-9 family, Dr. Greg with acupuncture, Uncle David and Haleen from Hydrate Spa, like everybody. And of course, Rob for being the training partner day in and day out on the grind with, on the hustle with, and, uh, and crossing that finish line together in this. And this was just such a treat and such a, such a, a pinnacle moment for our relationship and for everything we've worked towards. So, I mean, the list goes on. I don't want to miss out on any names. Our edge team, everybody that came out to support Tyler and Chad and Sam and, um, and Danny came out to support as well. Like, everybody that just came out to support and be there and be a part of it was just just so massive. So that is it. What an episode this was. It was fun to relive this and to document this one. And we'll see what's next for your boy. We'll see what's next. Right now in this post-Iron Man phase, I've had this list of things like clean my closet out, um, play basketball again, get back in the gym. There's like all these things opening up. And just even this morning before recording this, it was so funny. I'm like, I have all this time now. Wow. All this time now is just opened up. Like I'm going to go to the beach this morning and I'm going to go for an ocean dip instead of workout. Like that's what I'm going to do today. So I'm really excited to get back in the gym, put, put on some muscle back on my body and, and strength train and train some mobility stuff with my hips and my ankles and play basketball again, get back into surfing, active lifestyle training. So excited to bring all that back and to focus on and to realize too that this was this has taken up so much mental energy and physical energy for myself over the past six months. Really, the, the past it's always been active for me for the past eight years. This this idea, this goal. Now that this is done, it's opened up this whole new possibility of wow. Okay, what else am I going to put my energy towards? What goal? What what goal do I want to set next? What do I want to you know? What do I want to do with this time and energy that I have? Because it's so precious, and when we can direct that towards something we can see what's possible with it. So now I'm in this phase of sitting with and steeping with like, what, what, how do I want to direct this energy and focus? And what do I want to put this towards? Because it's really powerful. So love you all. If you're still listening to this at this point, God bless you. (laughs) Hopefully there's some, some takeaways here for you as well. And that's it. That's a wrap. Love you all back to our normal programming next week. And you got this, you can do whatever you want to do. Let me serve as an example that this felt so out of reach and I did it. You can do whatever you want to do as well. I believe in you. Love you. Talk to you next time.